0: It is Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. My name's Anthony, and this is Time Lapse, the podcast where cars and watches are the focus, but tangents are often the reality. Let's get into it. Welcome back everybody, uh, Anthony here again, it's been a little while since we recorded It must have been uh, before uh, the Christmas break and uh, before the new year Back in 2019, the last time that we recorded here at Timelapse But, we're coming into 2020 real strong uh, Back with some, uh, some big guns from uh, previous episodes I have in front of me, Mr. Victor and Mr. Mark Both of whom have been on the podcast before So boys, why don't you uh, quickly introduce yourselves
1: hey now glad to be back anthony thank you for having me on the podcast again uh, it's a pleasure always
0: awesome. great to see you great to see you too
2: how's it going it's hey, been that, a while it's been like a, a year
0: line. yeah i know it well i mean the difference between the time i get to see you guys is that i work with victor right. so i get to see him every day you i get to see like twice three times a year just depending yeah on we
2: used to, i used on. to work here at honda where yeah that's right yeah. My
0: job is actually actively avoiding you at work. <laughs> <laughs> you're, try, you're trying to get like turn the other way as often as possible. Yes, but it's nice that we can uh, we can break uh, those walls down on the podcast. Victor, I, I really do appreciate that. Absolutely. So, um, so you know, it's, we're going to follow the same format as always here. going to talk a little bit about watches gonna talk a little bit a little bit about cars in the past. I think we've done the flip start with cars going to watches, but there's just so much automotive news to cover. Um, You know, in in so many respects that I think today we're going to start off with watches Um, because, Mark, you're a big watch nut, as am I. Victor, you, I think, appreciate the more uh, the wearable technology side of watches. Yeah, I'm on the nerd side of the watch uh, spectrum. Hey, And and you know what? Nerds are awesome. And and we love uh, having nerds on the show because they're fun to talk to. So Uh,
2: like I said before, the uh, smart watches now are like the swatch watch of the 90s and 80s.
0: You know, it's it's more apparent to me every day because I, I, I wristwatch all the wristwatch. Yeah. Like not like the actual device, but I like, I look at people's wrists every single day. Uh, you know, being on the front lines in, in the customer service industry, I'm constantly, you know, looking at people and I'll be honest, I do make small judgments about a person based off of what uh, device they have on the wrist. And I mean, device in like consumer technology, like a, like a smartwatch or just in a regular watch. And it's shocking to me how many people have adopted smartwatches. It's like it's the norm now to have a smartwatch. And oh, there's a lot. Mechanical. Even
2: even at work now where I I work at Canada Post and uh, you're not really supposed to be using your phone mm-hmm. on the floor for safety reasons. But people have a smartwatch so they can check texts and mm-hmm. reply to stuff. It's so there's the functionality to that definitely
0: (laughs) and and victor maybe you can answer this for me because uh one of my good friends he had a samsung uh galaxy s s3 s3 uh nino and he's like he really loved it and he'll wear it for like you know a good month and then he'll take it off because he said it drains his phone's battery like crazy is that is that a common problem if they're tethered together i mean i have a gear s3 i've
1: had Mm -hmm. it for four years i had Mm -hmm. it since launch um it doesn't drain my battery. Mm-hmm. I think Nino is a bad example when we're talking about people <laughs> who are going to use a smartwatch because I think in general Nino is probably has other things on his mind other than a smartwatch. I, I have to tell you that my smartwatch—I uh, I hate to say this—but after four years, it's finally—it's finally died. The battery doesn't last at all. Oh, anymore. I see. So yeah, what did you I'm have, to, have to replace it. Yeah,
0: but I would say though that Nino yeah. is the norm and that you're the outlier of smartwatch. You know what? Consumers. You may be right. Because you people be right. people want the next newest thing, the majority of people, and that's what smart what smartwatches are right now. Mm-hmm. They want something, you know. It, it's it's a bit of a novelty, I think, to to have your your steps tracked and to be told when to uh, when to get up, move around, and, and all these other things. I think it is a little bit of a novelty, a little bit of like too much information. And but that can be said about mechanical watches as well. It is a novelty. It's not nearly as accurate as a digital watch. But oh it's yeah, three a, times the money.
2: A Timex. Any quartz watch is going to be ninety nine point nine percent more accurate than any yeah. mechanical watch, and Agreed. we're talking hundred thousand dollar watches. Yeah, you so know, and plus. then
0: maybe that's that's what makes them special is that they are novelties,
2: right of sorts. I guess it is. I mean, putting those things together, the time it takes. I mean, but if you look at it, I remember you talking about cars and the internal combustion engine hasn't really changed much over the years. Same with those watches. It's mm-hmm. the same. Mechanisms that have been around for over a hundred years. Yeah. So you I mean, know.
1: getting back to the novelty of uh of smartwatches, I think at this point in their development, I think they they are a bit of a novelty. But mm-hmm. in the future, they will be an asset uh, as opposed to a novelty. I think uh, having a smartwatch for me, mm-hmm. those notifications on my wrist, I know it's not a big deal to pull your phone out of your pocket. But once you get a smartwatch and you get those notifications on your wrist, you it does help you be more productive during it, the day especially like i'm i work uh, with my hands i'm a blue collar worker mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a technician for honda if you're at a desk i would think that it would be even more helpful because if you get in your emails on your wrist you can uh, uh, strategically reply to the ones you need to reply to
2: mm-hmm.
0: and ignore the other ones without even touching your phone or your laptop Interesting. Well, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. And you know what? The one thing that I haven't done yet, I have not adopted any kind of smartwatch. So I think that is. I next am on. really surprised that you haven't at I, this point. Well, I got so many of these mechanical ones. Like uh, I guess we'll do a little. Uh, we'll do a little wrist check right now, Mark. Uh, what are you wearing on your wrist? I
2: got my uh, my Tag Heuer, my Monaco. That is a beautiful watch, I, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it was my birthday last week, so I put it on and it said, "Okay, there's a couple days." This week I can wear this watch. I, normally I wear it maybe once a month. Okay. Maybe twice a month, it depends. I just like to run all the uh, the automatics. Yeah. At least once a month if I take the box out to swap watches, I'll wind them all up mm-hmm. just to keep them moving.
0: That's the fun of it, right? That's like it's like a little it's almost like a little garage but for eh. watches. So yeah. You got <laughs> yeah. to keep everything running. Uh, I'm actually wearing a uh, Hamilton Khaki King. Uh, I got this recently as a trade. I traded a watch. I won't say it now because I'm still a little bit uh, saddened that I, that, I'm, that I had to trade this watch, but I just wasn't wearing it enough. Um, so, you know, as per the trade, uh, the gentleman gave me this Hamilton Khaki King. Uh, first watch I took on trade without box and papers, but this has the um, Swatch Group's Powermatic 80, the 80-hour 80 power reserve movement, which is regulated by a laser uh, from the factory. So it's not even like a traditional mechanical movement, um, like in the sense of regulation. And, you know, I was kind of scared taking this watch on without any kind of history or anything. And then I thought, even if I had the box and papers, I'd have to send it to Swatch Group regardless, you know, like to to get anything done because it's regulated by a laser. So (laughs) it's really, didn't you have a hard time getting that watch here. Is that the one? This the one? one that got lost
1: in the mail or no, something?
0: No, no. That one was a no I bought That's an interesting story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you geez. were super stressed about that. You know that. what? I'll, I'll, in, I'll indulge you guys now because, so, Mark, you haven't heard the story. So I'm sure you've seen me post about my notice uh, club. It's a blue, blue um, very minimalist watch.
2: I, I saw pictures of it the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That was the first watch I bought on, um, what's it called, on, off of a forum. And the gentleman was great. He was actually a member of Red Bar New Orleans. He was great. Um I knew I knew I wanted the watch. I've I've wanted that watch for a really long time and so I decided to pull the trigger. The price was good. Um but he made the mistake of not priority shipping it and he shipped it through USPS
2: around Christmas time. Yeah, I, I me as a postal worker, I can tell you that if you don't especially around Christmas time, mm-hmm. it's so busy. Uh, if you don't ship anything priority, it will take substantially longer than regular that wasn't the worst part of it. Like the the length of time was understandable, but it was the tracking that. Right. You, there, there is no, no tracking. Yeah. There is no tracking. So whatsoever. you can
0: imagine me who has already sent my money to yeah, this you, guy in New Orleans. You got
2: to tell them like registered. Oh yeah. That's the bare minimum. At least then you know where it is in the system,
1: which was not done. I have and, so many questions about the postal service. I, we can yeah. get into it in a second <laughs> here because either. I think that's like <laughs> riding a horse. <laughs> what is going on over there at the postal service? You guys sit around a lot or? What's that? Do you it's, guys sit around a lot. It,
2: in the post- no, Amazon you keep account. buying stuff on Amazon and we ship it. It's what probably one of our biggest customers. All right. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. We'll good. get no, into that later.
0: That's good to hear, though. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, I, I, I was super anxious. I, I messaged him. I'm like, look, you know, I called uh, Canada Post and USPS because the package last, was last reported leaving a plane in Canada and hasn't had any updates in 10 days. So what happened to it? and then uh, both US uh, ps said well i'm sorry we got it to the plane it's not in our hands anymore and then canada post said we didn't get it off the plane yet it's not in our hands yeah so that's... it was in some kind of shipping limbo <laughs> and oh, and here i, I am holding yeah stressed. how I long did it take to get it um so i guarantee it was because of the christmas holidays but it, i think it ended up taking at least about a month uh, before it arrived it, it between 3 weeks to a month yeah it was it was a long it's, period of time yeah
2: with regular it should be about at that time of the year, it could be two weeks, two mm-hmm. and a half weeks. Yeah. So, and it, then you don't know. Some people will fib. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I sent it out. And it's like, no. Yeah. Well, you've waited two, three days to send something out. I mean, you look at letter mail, you can see date stamps, mm-hmm. even from us. Yeah. You'll see the back of it when we got it and processed it. Exactly. And sometimes people fib on that a lot. Oh, you I see that. But that's solution. usually just letter mail. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Next lesson learned. Right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, you know what now? Now I know if I ever. And, and uh, by the way, guys, if you guys are looking for mechanical timepieces, buying off of a forum from from a trusted seller, it's a great way to go. I mean, if you're if you're me, the boutique is always going to be a great experience. They're going to sit down, they'll pour you some champagne and some water and let's, they'll massage your cock for you. But if you want, if you're looking so for we're going a bargain, to the swear, <laughs> we're swearing here. Is that uh, what's I think so. Happening I here? think so. Yeah, let's but just let it fly. There's, there's
2: pros and cons to that. You look at like um, uh, what are the companies out there Watch time uh, Crown and caliber and all those they have pricing on watches you can't negotiate on that really they give you like a discount those
0: or, are different though I would say those are like those are boutiques but they have they have a it's um, a store a cultivated it's, it's a collection or whatever you'd call it it's e-commerce place. it's a
2: yeah, yeah electronic uh, online store per yes. se well you're talking about buying from just another, and order boutiques yeah,
0: like you're in eBay. Type well, of no no sorry by, by forms I mean these are these are people just reselling watches because right. like, they have owned them personally. Right. Yeah and now not, they're trying to either flip them or they're trying to offer. So you can negotiate them. with them because you're talking one
2: on one. Whereas yeah. with these these online sellers they kind of set a price. And yes. I looked at a lot of watches on there just to see what pricing is on mm-hmm. stuff. They a lot of these watches and they're one or two years old. Mm-hmm. No papers, no box.
0: Yeah no that's that's to me it's and they want
2: right. you know how much Submariners are and Rolexes are like they're 10,000 MSRP and they want 14,000 for a two year old watch yes. with no box and papers. So, so I think it's very clear to explain how
0: this, how this like sales hierarchy in the watch world works right now because we're talking about luxury goods. So at the top you have the manufacturers who have this network of retailers, of certified uh, distributors and and retailers, these boutiques. So we're talking like in, in the, the GTA here, like the Raffis the Demiani's, like these are jewelry stores. That, that are the uh, certified boutiques to, re- to sell Rolex, Omega, Breitling, whatever. They're the place that the majority of people, cash in hand or whatever, are going to go to to get a brand new uh, luxury timepiece with a warranty card that's stamped international warranty, whatever. That's the most expensive way to go about it. But you know you got a product you can trust. You, there's really no concern Especially there. Especially at those price points. Exactly. Yeah. If you want, if you want to go a step down from there, right? You have a few different options. You have the gray market, which are Crown and calibre. A lot of these people who it's a new watch, but it's coming from a different source. You don't, you can't really, you don't really know where the hell it's coming from. The prices are always going to be a little bit cheaper, but you're you're kind of not getting, you're usually not getting manufacturer warranty. You're getting a, a gray market warranty. So like Joma shop offers their own warranty. Uh, Chrono 24, I think, offers their own warranty. In my opinion, those warranties are a little bit vague. They can just throw whatever parts in your watch to fix it. Then you have forums, and that what I love about forums is that it takes time. Forum posts are just people who they, you know they've fallen out of love with the watch and they're trying to sell it now. Some people are trying to flip whatever, but you have this wide selection of interesting watches, and you're doing the work to find them, right? You're finding the people selling them. They're not coming to you, which is inherently less shady. That's why I like forums, and I think that uh, if you really like a watch start plugging into these forms start uh, start looking for it online to get a crazy good deal if not you want to make your life simpler and easier yeah just go to a boutique or or find uh
2: you know a, a certified reseller or something yeah and then you it's just one little point on that you look at the rolex hysteria right now and ap like these are expensive watches for msrp but you cannot get these watches yeah. you either are a very good client that they'll offer you a watch and you might get it within a year or you mm-hmm. get on a waiting list. I have a, a buddy that's looking at getting a, what is it, the uh, Deep Sea James Cameron. Oh, wow. Two years he's been on a waiting Jeez. list. He might not get it. You know, and, I, and hear, I hear about people like- Because the watch is almost, they're offering it to him. I think that the MSRP is around 16, 17,000. Wow. If you buy it right then and there, mm-hmm. a watch that they have that's considered used, somebody bought it and resold it to them. They want like twenty two, twenty four thousand for this watch. That's just crazy. like a GMT Pepsi right now. I'm like, oh that's a nice watch. Ten grand. Yeah, that's a lot of money even for me. Mm-hmm. But if I want one right now, I have to spend fifteen, seventeen thousand dollars. It's ridiculous. it's the stupid. Is It's crazy. It's liken it to cars, Porsche are yeah. like their uh, their R S cars. You gotta be a good client. Um it's very bought a bunch of, of cars. To
1: make a Porsche reference. To be honest. Well, no,
2: I'm just—it's a car reference. I can't think of another car right now where they're trying you to can't oversell think of anything
1: them. But Porsche, that's Porsche, Porsche, Porsche. But, but uh, as, as you guys, but yeah, like Mark some of these cars are.
2: Yeah, but I'm talking like like new Speedster or GT2 RS or something. They're going for like 150, 200 thousand yeah. over MSRP, right?
0: Because of the demand, there's, right. there's a ton so of demand. That it's out there. almost
2: the same kind of thing going on with that high-end brand and yeah. these limited and. Even with Rolex, they don't tell you how many they make. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> so that's it's crazy when you liken yeah. it to that. I can't like, there's, I, I don't know another brand like Honda, for example. Nobody's lining up and waiting. No, people two are, years for a Type R. Yeah, but, people are know.
0: negotiating uh, the price yeah. for cars already on the show. It, it's yeah. again, it's all about demand. What's in vogue right now? And can you think of two brands that are more in vogue than Rolex and Porsche? No, no, they're no, they are no. the they're the shit right now. If you have money in 2020. There's a, fuck, there's a good slogan. Uh, if you have money in 2020, you want a taste of both of those brands because of what it says about you as a person. And just, I mean, let, let's be honest here. Rolex and Porsche make a fantastic product. If they're like, you know, Apple would love to have a product like that, uh, you know, that with the history and the thoroughness and design. Like, again, both incredible uh, and, and really complimentary examples uh, of watches and cars. Let's maybe change the gears here. Hey, going a little bit. One thing I forgot to ask you guys is, what the hell's new? Mark, you got married. I got married. Which is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's fantastic. Congratulations, buddy. Vic, Vic was. I uh, have a
1: million questions about that too. Yeah,
0: I remember I <laughs> told might them be a I got engaged. Oh, you want to get married? Oh my god! <laughs> and the volume. Levels I
1: don't think spike. I was, <laughs> I don't think I was negative about your marriage. No, you were joking around. You're
2: joking. I had around. a lot
0: of other questions <laughs> that I don't know if we should get into here. <laughs> no, let, let's. But congratulations with, to you. and yeah, your Thank wife, you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how was it? Everything went off without a hitch. It was amazing.
2: We uh, even the honeymoon. I mean. Uh, Again, going back to Porsche, we I got her into it because I joined the club and we go on drives on that. And then, at the tail end of our uh, honeymoon, we went to Stuttgart. We did mm-hmm. the factory tour. That's awesome. Probably yeah. the most jealous I've ever been in my life. By the way, <laughs> yeah, it was. Looking at those you know negatives. what? It was Porsche and Mercedes. I think the Mercedes Museum is it's a grander uh, place, like it's bigger, mm-hmm. but Porsche. It's a much—it's uh, say about half the square footage, but they pack in a lot of cars in there. Really? And then the factory tour is pretty cool. Anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. You just got to sign up way in advance because they only have like a hundred people per day that they take through there. Hmm. And the Talk one about a dream honeymoon, yeah. like let's it go to a tour fun, at yeah. the Stuttgart factory. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. 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 and you she definitely liked it too. Found the one, mm-hmm. honestly. I, and she yeah. liked it too because it, I mean, there's it was the one takeaway that I found. And it's because in Europe, people still smoke everywhere. Mm-hmm. You see uh, vending machines outside. And I saw that in every country I was there. I was in Austria, Germany, and, and Italy. They still smoke in certain sections of the factory. So when we walked Jesus. in, you can smell a faint... Hint of smoke on the main assembly line, and I looked over. I'm like, oh, there's a little rest pod there. There's a guy smoking, mm-hmm. but it's not like the cars don't obviously smell like smoke. Yeah, you would. You'd, I'd but be surprised. And then you see a lunchroom. There's a guy eating and a guy smoking next to him. And mm-hmm. then once we went into like the leather department, there's absolutely like no smoking and eating there because they're cutting. Yeah. you know, I think that what they say a hide was twelve thousand bucks or something like that Jesus. from one. It's crazy. Yeah, but wow. it's it's pretty cool. Like. You've probably done the Honda factory. No, no, never. No, If they ever offer you the opportunity to do that, it's pretty cool to go see that too. I'd like to. I'd like yeah. to. Anytime. Yeah, I'd definitely like to. I don't even know how to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to somebody here. They yeah. might do it because yeah. we, we did it and a bunch of us went. Famel was with us. He told me about yeah. that. This actually, was a couple yeah. of years ago. So you get that op- opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, take it. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And Victor, what about you? Anything new? Um, I mean, the biggest thing that's happened to me is I shipped a car over from the West coast, which I never thought I'd ever do, but that, I
0: did. That's a pretty big step. <laughs> yeah. So, so
1: it's, uh, to make a long story short, I had a car in high school. I don't know if anybody out there knows what this car is, but it's a 1980 Chevy Monza Spider. Uh, I had one in high school. It was a V6 with a four speed. And I mean, back then having a V6 was, was the wrong thing. Yeah. But anyway, um, I happened to find one in, uh, in, in British Columbia, actually a small town called Salmo bc and uh, all the communication with the woman that owned the car was done over landline there was no text no email i mm-hmm. had to email transfer the money to some lady in uh in the main, mainland of vancouver wow so it was quite a process to get the car here it probably took about a month in total uh it was probably two weeks on the train to Jeez. get here but uh yeah i finally uh, realized that uh, one of my uh, one of my dreams is to get this car back i've, I've always wanted one uh, again uh, the original one got stolen. That's another long story. Mm-hmm. Um, the car's got 70,000 original kilometers, uh, original paint, original interior, one owner. So, uh, yeah, I got some plans for it uh, for this summer, suspension, uh, engine upgrades. That's awesome. I yeah, can't wait. So yeah. Can't wait to get that
2: a- going for sure. A little bit about a history on that car. Is it... Based on any other vehicles, it shared platform. Yeah, so anything?
1: this car is, uh, is considered the H body in uh, in GM terminology. So uh, the F body is the Camaro, the H body is the Vega Monza. The Vega came out first in 1970. It came out with a four cylinder, and hot rodders were putting uh, V8s in them in the 70s, from 70 to 74. Uh, at which point, uh, Chevy got into the uh, into the action and said, "You know what? You want V8s in these cars? Well, we're going to put it from the factory." So they redesigned the car, rebranded it a Monza. Uh, and from seventy-five to eighty, it was uh, it was a car intended to uh, battle the imports. Uh, Toyota, Honda was coming in at that really? time. Really, that's right. It was huh. a sub co- uh, sub co- uh, compact car uh, originally. <laughs> well, it, it's a funny story with the Monza because when it was first designed, it was designed for a rotary. so that's why the engine bay was designed in such a way to accommodate the rotary engine Mm -hmm. that deal fell through they couldn't get it emission compliant or whatever happened with the rotary which was probably better off so they ended up sticking a small block chevy in it at that point they ended up making basically a quarter mile beast because the car is only 2800 pounds with with driver you could put any size small block chevy in it with
0: five six hundred horsepower and you'd rule the streets can you compare that to a modern day vehicle? Is there like a is there sorry, is there some is there something that is sold today that would be similar to that car? Cuz I think a lot of people like they hear Chevy Monza and they have they either it tri- like you know hits something in their brain or they have no idea what you're talking about. Um I mean to to try to think of a car today, the power
1: to weight ratio of that car um I mean it's really hard to think. It's it so basically the size of the car, I would say it's probably like the size of a an s2000 or a civic okay and just imagine putting like like a really high powered type r engine Mm -hmm. into into like a a a car that size it's hard to really describe nowadays because those type of cars don't exist because there's too many safety standards
2: and
0: and they wow. found with forced induction, they found a way to extract power out of small engines. That's but right. It, it would almost be like if uh, if Honda built their new Type R and said, "Sorry, no, um, you know, no turbocharger. Just gonna throw the V6 inside of it." You know what? Right. That's actually a great analogy. Yeah. That's exactly what our it biggest idea Yeah,
2: like putting your coupe's engine into that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And yeah. honestly. I, you know, I talk a lot about the Accord Coupon here, um, but one of the things that I, that I think will make that car a future classic, and yeah, I can hear everyone listening laughing right now, um, is that Honda did not need to build that car. There was no competition out there from to, from their biggest competitors. Like, Toyota does not have anything. They had the Solara, right? But what they did was they just took a bunch of parts bin Honda stuff, right, that big V6 engine, their biggest engine, Uh, the robust transmission they threw it into a car and they sold it for whoever wanted it and it flew totally under the radar so in by that means uh, you know a company putting their their biggest oh i guess the small block their best engine into a kind of unsuitable and weird car is an example of uh of maybe like the cool performance guys at chevy at the time getting their way or something like that. The two-door
1: Accord Coupe that you own mm-hmm. is a performance car. It is a V6. Yeah. It's a manual. It's a two-door. It, it does follow the li- lineage of a muscle car. It's a Odyssey engine, basically, yeah. in a coupe. Yeah. And it does. I would hear what you're saying, and people are going to laugh about mm-hmm. calling it a classic. But I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. If you're a muscle car guy, mm-hmm. that's probably the closest muscle car you could find with a Honda badge on it. 100%. You, when yeah. I
2: worked here... I was disappointed cuz there was no S2000 anymore. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a Type R. Yeah. The the most performance oriented car that they kind of marketed was the SI. Yeah. Which is fun to drive, but the only car that impressed me horsepower wise that was something that was very performance oriented mm-hmm. was your car. I've never driven in a manual, but I remember doing a dealer trade on an automatic mm-hmm. and I'm like this is torquey. It's got this is something I I like power wise. It's it's a
0: really nice uh, drivetrain and it's really fun to rev out and I think that that's the that's the key factor there, right? When I think about my future cars, I'd love to own a Porsche one day. I hope it drives like my Honda powertrain wise, uh, handling wise. Obviously, I can expect something different, but I hope that the engine and this is why I I'd, I'd probably stick with naturally aspirated as long as I can because you know my brother has the um, the Fiat one two four a Barth. And that is a good turbocharged engine from Fiat. But with electronic throttle and a very small engine that's boosted, there is lag. There's the loss of, of communication between the driver and the car. And yes, you can get used to it, but there's just something that's super rewarding when, you're, when your foot is connected to that engine's RPM and, and, and that intrinsic you know relationship that you have with the, with the car. I really like that and uh, and that's what I think going forward I always think my next you know dream car it's got to have this characteristic it's got to remind me of driving my Honda Accord that's what I get from bikes and motorcycles that's what I want for my my dream car. So. Yeah, I was
2: always naturally aspirated when I got my car mm-hmm. I wanted something German. I was even looking at M3s at the time too because I had the V8. So that was yeah. that was fun. Yeah. It was just something different. I had a a Jeep I was never really into JD. Yeah, you had a Wrangler, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. I was never really into the JDM cars like you are Mm -hmm. and a couple other people other than like the S2000s that I saw around uh, the Nissans, Mm -hmm. uh, the Skylines and all that. Um, The real performance-oriented cars, what really put a a damper in me for Japanese cars was the kids that were buying Honda Civics. Yes, demographics, yeah. you know, they're... They're claiming these cars are putting out a lot of horsepower and they're really fast. When they're just, you know, they're not really doing much. Cold air intake and that, and you can attest to what real horsepower cars are. And you can make these things fast. There, yeah. there are, but oh, of course. the average kid that had one, they weren't that fast. Can I, can I tell you guys a funny story really quick?
0: And then <clears throat> we're gonna change gears once more. So yesterday, I'm driving. Um, I was driving down a uh, street in my in my area. It comes to a red light. And I started I t- I start taking off from this red light and I was almost home. I was eager to get home. so I, I took off relatively aggressively. And uh, I hear this exhaust sound behind me and it sounded like a ricer, like just a ricer, meaning like a, you know just like a JDM car like you said, but it was deeper. And it, he was he was accelerating as hard as me. I knew I was accelerating hard and I can hear his engine like his I can hear his exhaust increasing at the same rate. I look at my rearview mirror and it's an, it's like a first gen Cadillac CTS-V, I could tell it was manual by the way he was shifting, like, you know, the way it was shifting going forward. And he's trying to keep up with me. And then and then he has louder and louder. So now we're going down. He pulls into the lane beside me, and there's a car in front of him. He's trying to cut in front of me now at this point. And I'm like, okay, well, let me show you the, the balls that the, the, the V6 Accord has. So I just put it down. And we kept up up until maybe an, another half kilometer and that's when he you know just was able to, to go right by me his v8 uh, the power and everything he then slowed right down and was waving me forward like he wanted to go again so i'm laughing at this point and i already missed the stop that i was supposed to turn <laughs> so i just decided to keep going and then he was going like he was going way too fast so i just slowed right down this is a residential neighborhood i saw uh, you know a family walking by as like, okay, there's no way i'm speeding here if there's, if there's pedestrians and he just took off i loop around Start heading back the other direction because again I missed my turn. And who shows up in my rearview mirror? This CTSV. So the guy pulls up, and I'm just laughing because you know, like what are the chances he turned around to? And now we're driving beside each other again. And I and I roll down my window as we're driving and I ask him, he's a young guy, and he gave me the typical conversation that anyone with a car like that, like this was a very loud first gen CTSV, low barrier to entry and mega performance. You know, you can imagine what kind of guy is going to buy this car. Doesn't look very good, right? It's not—it's not a car you buy to flex on people. It's a car you buy purely for performance, uh, and because it's low low barrier to entry right now, you can probably find these, pick up these cars for like six grand. Um, so he rolls down his window, and I'm like, "What do you got? I know you got an exhaust going on. What else was else going on there?" He's like, "Oh, you know, headers. Oh, all blah, blah, this blah. Tell me all this stuff." And I'm like, "Is it? Is it?" Naturally aspirated, he's like, Yeah, until next week, bro. And that is the fucking that's the answer you get from every one of these guys. It's never enough performance, is it? It's never enough that your car sounds like a, a broken down uh pickup from the 80s. That that's how loud this thing is, like a diesel truck. It's never enough performance. It's always, yeah, until next week. Yeah, come see me in a couple weeks.
1: I'm gonna be making 800 horsepower. I just want to, Anthony. I just want to say that that is the typical. We live in a in in Vaughan, so it's in Woodbridge, in Toronto, Canada, and that is how every guy that's
0: under 20 sounds like in in, in our area. So, Anthony,
1: kudos to you. Thank
0: you. But thank you. But I I gotta say, it it is this. That is just so indicative of where, like Mark. And sorry, you sparked this 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 story for me because you said these kids, right, trying to constantly make the cars have more power, more power. When are they gonna realize? A team of engineers, sorry, the phones are going off back there. A team of engineers designed this vehicle to work best with the horsepower given to it. What makes you think that you know better? Listen, we're growing up with a need for speed generation. When they had
1: that game, they went into the credits yeah. and put turbos and this and yeah, that. Plus, they have true. daddy's money to play with. Yeah, They don't know the pure driving experience yeah. of what naturally aspirated means. That thing has an LS motor mm-hmm. with a six-speed that should be plenty of power exactly but because they're civics they're friends turbo type R they they need to hear these
0: words cuz they think that that's what's going to give them they performance think it, but it, they have no idea it, it's the same reason why he waved me up initially like we we became friends after the fact but you know the same reason he waved me up initially he was like oh you think your car is faster than mine i'm going to show you it's not motherfucker <laughs> like that's the, like it's this pissing contest but i i'm also uh, I also appreciate that there is like some camaraderie there, and and you know it, it is it's nice. I guess I just I just uh, sometimes I get I get vexed, and I think like what are you talking about? <laughs> Vex, what oh, a what word! Are you are gonna <laughs> throw a supercharger in that? This thing already is at the bottom of its fucking value curve. You're gonna just diminish it more? Exactly. What kind of person? Uh, you know, like anyway. And again, that's just me. I, I I like to. I'm very judgmental when it comes to cars. <laughs> but um, why don't we change gears here? Uh, we just recently had what the biggest auto show in the GTA. Happened Cias 2020. This is um, the biggest
2: one in Canada, yeah. Oh, biggest yeah. one in Canada. Okay, yeah. there we go. Uh,
0: Mark, you've worked the auto show circuit for quite a while. Vic, you've been to a million auto shows. Did you guys have a chance to go to Cias 2020?
2: I did. I did. I went on okay. my birthday. Oh, uh, well, nice. I went to go see, I didn't work it this year. Um, Honda changed up a couple of things. They're a little bit mm-hmm. smaller on the Honda side, so they had. Uh, accommodate the regulars that still do the the shows of course yeah so i I didn't work it but i went down to check it out so obviously i saw your podcast before i went there and the Mm. honda display booth is totally different yes they take a different direction uh which i think is cool instead of look looking at cars with uh wheel stands they kind of show how they're built yeah and, and dude, like you don't see that. That's kind of unique. Agreed. Any show that I've worked at.
0: It is no secret. Companies are pulling out of shows and droves because if people want to find out information about a car, they can do anything. They have access 24 yeah. hours a day. The marquee for free. shows
2: still have, but it's, but still, changing. it's yeah. still changing. It's still changing. Mercedes wasn't at the show and Volvo wasn't at the mm-hmm. show. Big deal. Volvo, they bring like five cars. They have the smallest footprint just Mercedes wait. is huge yes yes and they pulled out of the Vancouver Auto Show mm-hmm. well five six years ago I don't even know if they're still there and I don't think they are because mm-hmm. this is a Mercedes Canada decision mm-hmm. and that market is huge for Mercedes yeah you know I, I don't want to sound uh, uh, you know like the typical buyer out there you know wealthy Asian people. But I had a lot of wealthy Asian people ask me where Mercedes was at the Vancouver show. And they're, mm. they're not here, sir. Losing their minds.
0: Well, yeah, they, they, they expected to see because something. Because that is a, a very high-end show there. Mm-hmm. That They
2: have a lot of people bringing in their personal cars that are multi-million dollar. And they have, you know, the Mercedes and all that. To have that kind of market where it's very mm-hmm. big to, for them to pull out of there. Toronto may be a little bit different. Mm. But uh, that was five years ago, so I'm not surprised that they pulled out of Canada because they're not seeing the ROI on it.
0: Well, uh, of course. And one thing that's super weird is that I was there last year and and Mercedes unveiled their concept one or project one. It was like the Lewis Hamilton race car. They had a very,
2: very good display. last year. Yeah, it was incredible.
0: And then they also released the A class as well, the hatch and sedan. And that was really interesting. And then, you know, to just not be there this year. Once again, uh, viewers, I apologize for the phone uh, ringing in the background. There's not much I can do about that, but just keep talking over it. Uh, So. Who
2: yeah. thinks a dealership is open on Sundays? You guys know, would cry right? if this place was open on Sunday. I don't, I don't even know if we uh, told people where we are. Today. Yes,
0: we are currently in uh, in the dealership that me and Victor work at, and uh, and we're very lucky that uh, management allowed us to use this space on a Sunday. So if you don't like the sound of phones ringing, you can go and be a great person because I love the fact that you're listening right now. So uh, <laughs> let's um, I save. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had to, um, but yeah. So it's. It's it's weird what's going on with with the auto show circuit. And I'll tell you what this year I did see changes. I saw changes in displays like you said from Honda. Um, you know Honda doesn't really have any exciting cars like to look at right now. They, like so they knew that they couldn't just put a whole bunch of you know crap out there uh, the same way that other brands like like well, I guess Subaru had I think a new Impreza or something. You know, it's the same old th- stuff from a lot of these brands. I think the 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 whole structure of the auto show has to change because
1: the auto shows came about at a time when there was no internet. Of course. Now, what Honda did this year, I thought was unbelievable. I loved every second of it. They put up cars on display that you would not see on the internet, that you couldn't physically touch. Yes. You, if you put a disassembled body. On display, that's something that's going to get me out of my house to Mm -hmm. go look at, especially if I'm interested in cars. Of course, putting uh, a Type R on display, I could just go online, Mm -hmm. I can watch tons of YouTube videos, go on Honda's website, I can walk into a dealership. Not going to go pay $20 to get in and $30 for parking, yeah, to go to the auto show. But something unique, like even that Honda had on display, like an X ray type of uh, Mm -hmm. type of uh, television or something that you would you'd go in front of the car and it would show you the insides mm-hmm. of inner workings of the car. I, th- I think that was yeah, very unique. it was unique. a hybrid, was really right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that's something, that's the, that what they need to do. They need to change the format of the auto show because it's, it's antiquated. So what, that's my, to uh, that point, there's that word again, antiquated. antiquated, yeah.
0: To that point, Victor. So Honda, they didn't just um, like use like, uh, props of, of what they have in the factory. They also displayed what Honda truly is. They are not their car company, yes, but they are interested in mobility. They had this really interesting display, which was like a 360-degree, um, you know, kind of like uh, area where you could follow Honda's history and what they see for the future. So they started off as an as an engine builder, right? Uh, that trickled down into cars. That's what the people needed at the time. But now they're working on mobility for, for people who um, who are recovering from accidents, like like a, a design that you attach to your hips, and it helps you walk. Like an exoskeleton. Yeah. Right? Uh, They have this like little pod you sit on and it's like the future of like you remember the hoverboard things This is like the like the the hoverboards great-grandson Like you sit on this little pod and you just use your upper body to kind of like move it in directions And it was like there was a guy riding it around there. They've already developed this technology.
2: We had that briefly at one or two other years of the show, but it's there's so few of them Mm -hmm. That we only had it for like one or two days.
0: They told us there were six in North America, and we yeah, couldn't, we couldn't <laughs> ride them. <laughs> so, but it, you know, they they were they took this opportunity to show you something that you don't you don't know them for. You, you don't even want to know how expensive those things oh, are. I can imagine. I, I, I yeah.
2: forget how much they said. It was like several hundred thousand. They only had one of Jesus us world. able to ride it, and it was only out for like an hour stint at a time. That's that's crazy. not even like ten minutes at a time. So it was something that was like very.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's understandable. I, yeah, that's like understand. I said, I think the auto show format's gonna go away eventually. It's, it'll only be around in like really big markets, maybe New York, L.A., Detroit. Right. I, yeah, I asked in, you something. in small ci- it, relatively small cities, like I mean, Toronto's a huge city, yeah. but in the grand
0: scheme of the U.S., it's it's not. Let me so, ask you something. Elon Musk did something really cool where when he released um, his um, Roadster, not Roadster, what's it called? The new one, the new Cybertruck. F- not the Cybertruck, the, the car that's oh, the God. fastest thing.
2: The, the Roadster, yeah. The new Roadster. Yeah, I you yeah.
0: And he had it whip across the stage, like do a zero to 60 in front of everyone. You can do that with electric cars because there's just no emissions, right? There's no laws against running an RC car inside of a building. I think that as more companies adopt electric technology, the auto show format will inherently change where you'll show up to a show and your show will be driving car to car in the, inside this building with someone sitting beside you showing you the tech as the car's moving, they can do that now because you're driving a piece of consumer technology just around. Like it'd be the same thing as going and trying on a smartwatch at Best Buy. I think that's the direction it's headed. And we can't do that now because you can't start up 150 uh, internal combustion engines inside of a building. No. Right. No.
2: I mean, they were starting up cars at, at this auto show, but they actually have a tube now this is the old cars. Oh, okay. I, I don't know oh, if you heard yeah. about that. Like they have the old cars and they'd fire them up at six o'clock at night and they'd, Idle it for ten minutes, or sorry, a minute, and then rev it up. But they for, they have for a, what purpose? Just just to, to show off the the oh, muscle cars okay. in the basement. They're doing that. Oh, okay. And uh, but you can't. They had a tube that went out to the back door, yeah, well, a, course, a, a yeah. escape like a mm-hmm. emergency door. So you can't with electric cars. You can do a lot more. I mean, when we used to drive out a car onto the on a display every hour to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Cars running for like not even fifteen seconds. But yeah. now. Yeah, that would be interesting if they, you know, Tesla doesn't really spend much money on their displays at auto shows. Some years they weren't even there. They're doing guerrilla marketing outside. They were here at this year's auto show. Oh, really? And I had my Cybertruck t-shirt on, so they appreciated that. They, mm-hmm. They're laughing. I have this uh, Dark Shard of the Moon t-shirt where it's like the Pink Floyd album and the rocks hitting the thing and then on the other side. <laughs> so they're making fun of the fact that they Broke the windows in the in oh, the, I the, see. the cyber yeah. truck. Yeah. Which is what are your takes on that vehicle, base?
0: Oh, i like it. I didn't like it at first, but it grew on me. And uh and then I realized what it was, it was just a marketing stunt, you know. You give people what they want. They want a pickup truck, they want a utility vehicle that looks cooler than the Model X, and that's what they did. But I, I think I, I think they're gonna sell a ton of them. I think so too I think but they, it's going to be like for what? To flex on people it's not uh, you know it's to flex on people exactly yeah. but that we're in a flex society yeah, people that's, buy that's pickup people trucks do. all
2: the time and don't use them for their intended yeah, purposes yeah.
0: and you can say that, that there's a lot of pickup truck owners who bought a pickup truck just to flex on people you know i know like look at look at dodge look at the dodge ram and uh, and, and you know actually not even just the dodge ram any of the newer pickup trucks they've they've kind of marketed them as luxury trucks that's it and they have an open bed if you choose to use then you have it uh, but they've made them significantly more comfortable in,
2: inside. I wouldn't um, so. want a pickup truck unless it's making me money.
0: I agree. It's yeah. it's excess.
2: You unless you need it to tow a lot of or haul something.
1: That, yeah, a lot of people that have a lot of money that just want this truck in their driveway just to say that it, they have it. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about Elon Musk for a second. So I'm going to age myself right now uh, and tell you that when I was a small, a small kid in the 80s, we all talked about the year 2000 mm-hmm. and what it was going to be like and what the cars were going to be like and what things were going to be like. The only person in the year 2000, in my opinion, is Elon Musk. He's Mm -hmm. making cyber trucks. He's landing rockets from space. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's making all this new tech. This guy is, in my opinion, uh, one of the geniuses of our time. And, and if he builds the cyber truck, people will buy it. It's the same thing as Apple, Apple, Apple will buy, build you any phone. put an Apple logo on it and you will buy it. Mm -hmm. He has made himself a marketing genius. So anything he builds will sell.
0: and And they have a
2: quite a big following oh yeah it's huge it's huge
0: um let me ask you guys anything else uh, from the show that you saw mark anything else that stands out i have one more thing that i think was pretty interesting um Uh,
2: they had some again more of these exoticas that they're adding and there's a there's a guy with a a magazine autostrada he keeps bringing more and more really cool cars Mm -hmm. um Faf had an interesting display with the they Bugatti. Come, yeah. And oh yeah, that's yeah. That's sixteen million dollar. What was it? The uh, I forget the name of it. It's a Chiron. it's a rebodied Chiron, yeah. basically.
0: Yeah, I can't remember, but it's a beautiful car. That, yeah, that's like nineteen twenties like uh, like elegance, and it's just so big and, and you, long. And
2: I saw cool. a little blurb on their Instagram from the Canadian International Auto Show Instagram mm-hmm. post. That was not even the most expensive car there per se. Now I don't what know if they the got the apparently the 1959 or 55 Corvette Stingray concept car. Really? No, that's more
0: expensive than the Lamborghini Miura that was there. There's a la- fucking well. This is this Miura. is a
2: one-off car from the fifties oh, that brought that that had that Stingray design to it. So I don't okay. know. That's an invaluable car, right? You're yeah, talking, I guess that's This priceless. is an antique. Well, not and, Yeah, but I guess now is way over fifty years well, old. That's artwork at this point. Dude. Yeah, nobody's yeah, driving. that I around. think that goes to, like the Corvette so, Museum. So, but it's cool that that's the premise of that. Because that Bugatti, nobody knows who bought it. Yeah. It's it's a big mystery. But it's cool that they brought that to the show. And Definitely. And you're going to, if these auto shows continue to go the way they are going, they're going to keep bringing more of these people into the auto show that instead of the manufacturers being directly involved, mm. you're going to have these uh, guys that are bringing in their private cars to yes. fill the void of that. You see that at the, not Calgary, Edmonton Auto Show. They have a auction there. Wow. Old cars, new cars. They have a huge, almost the same footprint as the manufacturer's side. Maybe a third to 40% of the show is all aftermarket and Hmm. uh, section to that. So So it's different. It's It's actually a really fun show to go to if you're ever in Edmonton and go to the the motor show.
0: I'm there all the time. Uh, (laughs) But um, one thing I did want to talk about before we uh, switch gears to F1 uh the chrysler did not have a big display this year they they of course jeep and dodge had their typical stuff but chrysler itself i think they only had like a pacifica and a
2: 300 yeah i was trying to look for the just to look at a durango srt because somebody i know has one mm-hmm. i just wanted to see what just to look at one they didn't have one there yeah it was a little bit smaller footprint that they had uh another thing that they don't i was walking with a an old colleague of mine FCA really doesn't do any electric cars. They're really into the market of Jeeps and Rams. And, and then FCA, they and don't really have hybrids or anything other than like what the Pacifica?
0: I yes, I think I think there's a there's a there's a hybrid version of the Pacifica, but that's the big deal here is that Peugeot and FCA are about to sign a deal.
2: Yeah. Right? Uh,
0: where and you would expect that that is where like this is not just Chrysler. We're talking about FCA, Fiat and Peugeot are about to combine uh, forces, and um, and of course there's still a lot of logistical stuff on the back end that's got to be figured out. But we can expect a completely refreshed Chrysler lineup going into I'd say the mid 2020s, uh, with a lot of influence from Peugeot and all the brands that Peugeot owns, which is and they have, they have in Europe so much opportunity for electric uh, technology to be uh, to be uh, you know trickle down into the FCA products. That's why I was really shocked this year because like by, by them pulling things away from the offshore, it means that they're not, they're not investing in any kind of new stuff. They're just going to sell off whatever they have, keep the factories moving. But yes, you can expect a huge influence from the Peugeot merger to have uh, to, to uh, kind of lay out what their next models are going to be like. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah.
2: I think they're, they're one of the main reasons they're doing that too, is because uh, just to share the R and D costs and doing, uh, electric and, and more hybridized cars yeah so but it'll be interesting to see it'd be nice to see some french cars back here I remember as a kid my uncle had a a Renault Lacar, Car if anybody knows what that looks like the car I, I know exactly <laughs> what the car that is I've worked Le on Le one Le Car yeah the Car it was like a three cylinder jeez like, the muffler was in the, the size left of front fender Believe really? it or not, it sounds yeah. like a Vespa. <laughs> it's not the. I remember that oh, car as a ideal. kid. Couple times, uh, my uncle driving. It was a really tiny car. I remember one time, just funny story, ran out of gas. He was near an airfield, uh, somewhere out in uh, Quebec, and they didn't have any gasoline. He, they put avgas in the car, and it ran. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So they, I, you know what avgas is? No.
1: It, back in the eighties. Uh, when muscle cars were big uh, and you couldn't get uh, ca- cars would run high, high compression, 12, mm-hmm. 13 to one on the street. Mm-hmm. And these cars couldn't run regular gas. So people would actually go to the airport oh, okay. and buy aviation fuel to put in, in these cars. Mm-hmm. And then when you would go like to the car meets, like we'd go to car meets at night and whatever race street races, when the cars would roll up to the line, you could smell that they were running avgas. gas. So if the guy was kind of lying to you saying, oh, no, it's just a just a small block. It's 10 to one. No, we already we automatically knew he was lying because he yeah, could smell high the Yeah, because it's high-compression
2: fuel. fuel, isn't it? Yeah. Like well,
0: uh, high-octane, I should say. So you're telling me that in the fantastic and fabulous 80s, people were going to <laughs> car shows, running, running it, cars. To street races. races. Street, oh, my God. Yeah, they would God. be running
1: Avgas. My friend had a 45-gallon drum in his garage. Jeez, just, man. And before the street races, we'd fill it up or yeah. put enough in just to run, and the car would go there running Avgas, and you could smell it. It, it smelled... The, the exhaust smelled completely different you yeah. know right away that's crazy
0: yeah to me like to think to think that like you know because i i'm i'm a i'm exposed to what we have now and i don't condone street racing i think it's ridiculous it's very unsafe uh, but i'm aware that it exists today and the capacity exists today is like you know subaru guys doing donuts in an intersection like a live intersection at like two in the morning we are
2: closing so, down a highway yeah yeah uh, for you like you know a couple of minutes just to do some trick it's totally stupid yeah i the most fun i've ever had with my car was at the track and it wasn't even a track day it was learning day yeah and then you're just focused on the driving not worried about cars around you mm-hmm. so it's it's not even i'm trying to do a public message here it's just more fun going to a track of course or going go-karting or or whatever it may be on a track yeah i i agree completely you don't worry about the environment around you just yeah. go out on a track I think that uh street racing gets dangerous
0: because it becomes a competitive thing. If yeah. you know anyone anyone should be able to go out on the road and enjoy a car, but you should you should be able to enjoy it on your own. If you have to enjoy your car by comparing it to your to your other dumb friend and what he's going to do with his car, then it's going to get dangerous and you have to assume that responsibility. There are there are, you know, again I don't condone it, but I if it happens out in buttfuck nowhere when, you know, on a highway, I yeah, go ahead. Go right ahead. But the problem is when it happens in these areas and people don't have a concern for pedestrian safety or anything that's when you give all enthusiasts a bad name oh agree. So,
2: i think it all started off with the fast and furious movies people are like leaving the parking lot back when it was actually a believable street racing scene movie now it's something ridiculous to defy oh, defies uh, laws of physics and all they're, that
0: they're secret agents yeah so. it's stupid yeah that's what you gotta do to sell uh, to put butts in seats
2: Mm-hmm.